good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King. If you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. We're very glad that you are with us. Uh, we are in John chapter 1 this morning, John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there, or you can follow along in your order of service, uh, John 1. For the uh, four weeks of Advent, so historically the church has uh, recognized the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas as being the Sundays of Advent, and so is uh, a frequent occurrence within the church to focus our attention on certain passages that might highlight the coming of Jesus. Maybe it's prophetical passages or the, the gospel narratives, but, but for this Advent season, we're focusing our attention on John 1, those first 18 verses of John. And the reason why we're doing this is because uh, John helps us in our understanding of who Christ is. See, those first 18 verses are the prologue to the book of John. And they help us see not only who Christ is, but they introduce us to the themes that are prominent within the Gospel of John that help us to understand who we are and how it is that we live in relation to Christ. See, there's actually a, a theme that is prominent in these first 18 verses that is prominent throughout the entirety of the Gospel, and this is the theme of darkness and light. John, in his Gospel, as well as in his epistles later in uh, the New Testament, focuses on this theme of darkness and light. That we, in our hearts, because of our sin or in the world in which we inhabit, the curse that has fallen upon it because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, is in darkness, and we are now in need of light. And that's who Christ is. He is the light who is the life of men. He is the one to whom all of our hopes belong. You see, there, there is a foundational truth. There are many uh, truths of the scriptures that we as Christians hold to. But one of those foundational truths is the fact that we are all in need of Christ. That whether you, are, uh, you have been attending church for the last 50 years, and you can remember no day when you never believed in Christ, or whether this is your first Sunday ever considering the claims of Jesus, or somewhere in between, we are all in need of the light of Christ. Every one of us. And so you're in good company. <laughs> regardless of what you bring this morning, regardless of how you come, you are in good company because all of us, me included, are in need of Christ. And that's what this passage tells us. So let's follow along in our order of service or in your uh, Bibles. We'll begin in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in 1952, from Friday, December the 5th until Tuesday, December the 9th, a thick cloud of smog descended upon the city of London. 
This was no ordinary fog that London is known for. I've never been, but I know uh, London is famous for its pea supers, right? I, th- I think that's what they call them, right? This fog that descends upon the city and people can't see through it. It's so thick, it's like pea soup. That's where we get that line from. Well, this, this smog that descended, this fog that enraptured, it, 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 it circled the city, it came upon it, was different than all those previous pea supers. You see, this was the great smog of 1952, the great London smog, that's what it's called. See, a whole host of circumstances contributed to the greatness of this, this event. There was cold weather, there was uh, the use of, great deals of use of cold. There was windless conditions. The temperature continued to drop, and the people, rightfully so, took coal, and they kept putting it into their fireplaces, into their, uh, their homes, into their businesses to try and stay warm. And the pollutants filled the air, but there was no wind to blow it away. And so a great smog descended upon the city. Visibility was so much so that it was so inhibited that people couldn't see for even a meter away. For you non-metric system people, that's about three feet. So they were enraptured by this smog, this darkness. And it wasn't just at night, it was during the day. And it wasn't just in their city streets. The smog was so great that it started to penetrate into their homes and their businesses. I mean, could you imagine that, like how filthy that would feel? You're in your living room, you're in your kitchen, you're eating your dinner, and there is this smog that is just filling up the room. This is what it was like for those few days in London. It was so bad that public transportation was shut down. People weren't driving. Ambulances wouldn't even go out into the streets in times of emergency. Over these few days, 12,000 people died and 100,000 people were sick. This great smog descended upon the city. It was completely dark. Even in the evening with the street lights turned on, it couldn't penetrate the haze. Think about how unnerving that would be. And we know what it's like to walk around at night when there's no lights. But in the middle of day, darkness encircling you, you can't even see four feet in front of you. How unnerving, how scary that would make us feel that the darkness wasn't just in the streets, but it was even in their own homes, and there was no light that could penetrate it. This would have been very unsettling. And I imagine that the people who were living at the time in which the events that are described for us in the Gospels, the people who were living in this day, that they felt that unsettledness of darkness as well not because of literal darkness, but because of the darkness that they had been experiencing because they're on the end, the the tail end of the intertestamental period. See, that's what we call this gap between the Old and the New Testaments, this intertestamental period where for 400 years, God's word had seemingly gone silent. We have Malachi in the Old Testament, and then we have 400 years of quiet. An age of quiet, an age of darkness that God's people, I'm sure, were walking around and wondering, would the darkness continue? The shadow of the Old Testament promises, that's what the New Testament calls it, the shadow, these promises, would the shadow lengthen and continue? Would they continue to walk in the midst of the dark? You can imagine that they were feeling very unsettled. 
God had made these promises, but would they come about? Even in our Advent reading, I don't know if you heard it, but in the prophet Isaiah, he said the people who walked in darkness. They were walking in darkness. In the midst of the day, it was still dark. Would this darkness remain? Some of you have felt this. Not literally, but you felt it emotionally and psychologically. Chuck even prayed for it this morning. Many of us know the the darkness of sadness and mourning. Many of us have experienced the the darkness that, that seems to invade us, that makes us think that maybe the entire world is against us, the darkness of our own sin and the brokenness of this world. We've all experienced it. Even in this season of Christmas, we drive around and we see all the beautiful lights around us and it seems like we can't go anywhere without twinkling and flashing lights and, and houses that are lit up. And yet internally, some of us feel Darkness, sadness, grief, and mourning. Even as we see the twinkling lights, we're reminded of all that we have lost, the pain that we have borne, the hurt that we've experienced. We know the dark. We all know it. So what are we to do with it? How are we to live in the midst of darkness? That is the question. And the first thing that we have to do is we have to acknowledge that the dark is real. That it is real. That there actually is darkness. That's what the passage indicates to us in verse 4. We're told, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, Now, it's implied that the darkness is there. Because Jesus is coming into this world, this light that is coming into the world, it implies that the the world is not light if the light needs to come into it. And this is confirmed in John chapter 12 when Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. See, we have to acknowledge the fact that we are in the dark. Now, when we think of darkness, we often just think of it as simply the absence of light, as though uh, darkness is this neutral uh, reality that we experience. But in the Bible, and particularly in John, darkness is not simply the absence of light as though it is neutral. Darkness is a moral category. Darkness is in opposition to the light. That's what Jesus indicates in John chapter 3. He says that the light has come into the world And the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, darkness isn't neutral. It's not something that we're supposed to simply accept as part of this world. It's not something that we kind of think of as like this yin and yang with the light, right? Goodness and evil, they have to coexist. And we're not really sure who's going to win. Darkness and light, right? There's the the good force and the the dark side of the force, and, you know, we need them both to be intent, right? That, that's, that's actually not the biblical categories. No, darkness is not neutral. It is in opposition to the light. It is opposed to it. Our sin is that darkness. You see, left to ourselves, we would remain in it. We would be spiritually dead, 
that the problem of darkness isn't simply out there, but it's actually the evil that we perpetrate in our own hearts and in our own minds and with our own hands. The darkness resides within us. And so that means that we actually need something that is outside of us. We need a light to penetrate that darkness, a light that we cannot create in of ourselves. See, we are not powerful enough to penetrate the darkness of our hearts, and so we need someone who can or something who can, and that's what we're told in this passage. Not just that we need to acknowledge the darkness, but that Christ has come as the light of the world. He is the light that brings life. That's what verse 5 tells us. The light shines in the darkness. And verse 9 tells us that this light is the true light. Now, it's important that we're told that Jesus is the true light because it's so easy for us to look for life in those things that simply reflect the light. What do I mean by this? Well, let's think about the first century Jewish person. They're sitting there. They're at the end of the intertestamental period, but surely they don't know that it's the end. They don't know how much longer this age of silence is going to last. And so they know they are walking in the midst of darkness. And into the darkness shows up this guy, John. John, he, he looks prophetic, right? I mean, John, he's got the camel hair cloak and he's eating locusts dipped in honey. And I imagine he's got like crazy scraggly hair and this massive beard and, you know, wings from the locusts are getting stuck in his beard maybe. And he's kind of, he's looking the part of the prophet, right? Because when I think of an Old Testament prophet, that's kind of what I think of, right? This kind of crazy, strange looking, kind of countercultural sort of fellow. He looks the part, but then he also plays the part of the prophet, because he's saying things to the people around them, like, repent, turn, turn to the kingdom of God, for it is at hand. And he's taking them out into the wilderness beyond the Jordan, and he's baptizing them. And he's saying, turn, turn back to the kingdom, repent of your ways, be washed clean. And so it would be easy for the people as they're living in the dark, as they're hoping for God's promises to be fulfilled, that they see this glimmer of hope, this little bit of light. And maybe they start to wonder, maybe John is the light. Maybe he's the one we've been waiting for. In fact, we know that that is exactly what they wondered because in Luke 3, we're told that the people wondered whether John might be the Christ. You see, they had been longing for the light that when they saw something that was just glimmering, the smallest of sparkles, they wondered, could this be what we've been waiting for? Maybe he is the one who will bring us life. And we do this too. We often don't do it with a man, right? A scraggly-haired, crazy-bearded, camel cloaked, wearing, locust-eating guy, right? Like if that guy walked in, we wouldn't think he's the light. <laughs> no, we don't do that with one another. We actually do it with the things around us, like our careers. See, we don't call our careers the light, but we treat them like they're our life, right? We, we put all our hopes, our identities, our purpose, our life, and our professions. I know we do this because... I've, I've walked through uh, retirement with a number of people. I've watched them retired. I've walked with them. I've talked with them. And retirement is hard enough. It's hard enough because your whole life changes, right? Like, what do you do Monday morning now? 
when you've been going to the office for 50 years or however long you've been going to the office. But it's all the more harder when you have put your entire identity and purpose in going to the office on Monday morning. And I know men who've struggled with that. They've put their entire life into their career. And you don't have to wait to retirement to see if that's what you're doing. We all can struggle with that. This is who I am. This is my purpose. This is my being. And it's not just our career. It's our families. We can do it, right? The behavior of our children. That is where I'm going to find my identity. The, the approval of my spouse. That's where I'm going to find my purpose. Students, it, we can, you can find it, and not just you, but, but parents and adults do it as well. We're just better at hiding it. But the acceptance of our peers, popularity, whether we made the right team or whether we're invited to sit at the right table. We can all find our purpose, our life, in things that are simply reflections of the light. You see, we're not in danger of putting our purpose, our whole identity, finding our life and source of life in evil things. Most of us aren't struggling with that. It's good things. Career, success, love, to be liked, those are good things. They're reflections of Christ's goodness to his people, but that's all they are. They're simply reflections. You see, we do not need reflections of Christ's light. We need the true source of his light. I mean, think about it this way. In those summer evenings when the moon is full and there's not a cloud in the sky, you don't need a flashlight to go walk around in your backyard. And you don't need the streetlights to go walk through your streets. You can see very clearly because the moon is giving off so much light. You can see very clearly. Now it's not the midday of the sun, but, but it is light nonetheless. But we know, we know that it is wrong for us to then associate the moon with the light itself, right? It's simply reflecting the light. It is not producing it. And similarly, that's what we need to ensure that we do, that we do not associate these good things, vocation and family and popularity, all these sorts of things. We need to not associate those good things with the light itself because they're simply reflections of the light. That's why when the people wondered, is John the Baptist the one we've been waiting for? What did he say? I am not the Christ. And he went on and said, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie is still on his way. And that's why we have verses 6 through 8 in our passage. John the Apostle clarifies who this John the Baptist is. He says he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John was simply one crying out in the wilderness. Think about that. As good and as godly and as prophetic as John was, he was still not the one to whom the people were to put their hope in. He was not the light and the life that they were longing for, that they were needing. He was one who was pointing to the light. See, Christ is the one who shines into the darkness of our hearts, and he is the one who brings life. No one else does. And St. Augustine realized this. St. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, 
who lived in the 5th century. St. Augustine tried to find light and life from a whole host of things. He tried to find life in sex, and he tried to find it in his career, and he tried to find it in success, and he tried to find it in wisdom and knowledge and rhetoric. He tried all these sorts of things, and looking back on his life, he said, my heart was restless until the time when he finally embraced Christ, when the light of Christ broke through the darkness of his own heart. And this is what he said. I'm, I'm going to read from you from his confessions. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this, his autobiography. Augustine, he heard these words as he was sitting in the garden, pick up and read, pick up and read. And they were the words of children. And so he thought, well, this was some game or some song that children were doing. And he racked his brain to remember what they were. But no song, no game came to his mind. And so he realized what they were calling him to do. And so he ran into the garden. He said, I hurried back to the place where Alpius was sitting. There I had put down the book of the apostle, referencing scripture, when I got up. I seized it, opened it, and in silence read the first passage on which my eyes lit. Not in riots and drunken parties, not in eroticism and indecencies, not in strife and rivalry, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in its lusts. It's from Romans 13, verses 13 through 14. And then he said, reflecting on it, I neither wished nor needed to read further. At once, with the last words of this sentence, it was as if a light of relief from all anxiety flooded into my heart. All the shadows of doubt were dispelled. It's beautiful. That when he heard, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of Christ, scattered the darkness of his fears. Anxiety was no more. The darkness was dispelled because the light of Christ had invaded his life. Or as the prophet Isaiah put it, the people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The light has shone. Have you seen it? Have you experienced the light penetrating the darkness of your soul? Do you know that? Are you believing in him? That's what we're told John the Baptist came to bear witness about the light so that all might believe through him, that might believe in Christ, that he is the light and the life of men. See, friends, that's what we are to believe, that Christ's advent, his coming, was to bring the light that we were in need of, the light that brings life. Do you know that light? Are you walking in the midst of it? Now, I know many of you, and I know that you are. You have known that light. You have walked in it. It has shone. It has shined on your heart. It has penetrated the darkness, and yet it is easy for us to wonder, maybe the, maybe the darkness is too dark. Maybe the powerfulness of my sin could invade my heart again. 
I mean, we, we know how powerful sin was in the past. So powerful that there was nothing in us that could ever eradicate it from our lives. And so it's easy for us to maybe wonder and fear and worry that maybe the darkness will return. I mean, we look at the world around us, the darkness that we are surrounded by. We look on the news and we see people who claim the name of Christ and yet they are perpetrating evil. They're abusing victims and the needy and the weak. And we know the darkness of our own hearts. Our temptations towards sin. And so we might start to fear. Yes, Christ's light was enough that first day when I believed, but is it strong enough today and tomorrow? Will the darkness eradicate it? We start to wonder that, that maybe Christ, is, his light is like the file of Galadriel from the Lord of the Rings. Now, I know all of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you think I'm just a giant dork because every other sermon, it has to be the Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia, and that's fine. I will embrace the dorkdom. It's okay. But in the Lord of the Rings, Frodo and his band of men, his people who are with them, they are heading to Mount Doom, you remember. And on their way to Mount Doom, they have to take solace in the the uh, forbidden wood of Lothlorien. And there they come across the powerful queen, the elf queen Galadriel. She is powerful and good. She is, uh, she is uh, terrifying and beautiful. And they come into her presence and she gives them rest. And they find protection. And after a few days of finding protection under Galadriel, she They are ready to depart, and she gives them all these gifts as they are going on their way to help them on their journey. And she gives to Frodo this file, this glass jar, and in the jar is contained Arendelle star. And she says, I give this to you to bring light into dark places. And every time he's needed it, it's worked. When he's in the dark cave of Shelob, the the spider, in the darkness of it, he pulls out the star and and it breaks through the darkness. And when the darkness starts to seep into his heart, the anxiety and the fear, he holds on to it and it gives him comfort and it dispels his fears. Every single time he needed the light to shine, it eradicated the darkness. But in that day, when they were in the greatest place of evil, And the power of Sauron was so strong in the crack of Mount Doom when they were being consumed by the darkness of his power and of evil. Do you remember Sam, his faithful friend, pulls out the star? But it's not enough. The evil and the wickedness was too much. The light was eventually subdued by the evil. And I think as Christians, sometimes we can worry, maybe that's like Christ's light. It was powerful in the past. It was powerful when I first believed. But we're afraid that that maybe the darkness of the world and the darkness of my heart and the wickedness that we see, that maybe the light will be subdued. Friends, if you're fearing that this morning, or if you've wondered that in the past, 
If in the future you are consumed by concern that the light of Christ can be extinguished, friends, have no fear. Be rid of your concerns and have confidence. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. There is no darkness too dark and no evil too wicked to overcome the shining light of Christ. There's no darkness too dark. I mean, think about 33 years after his advent, Christ was crucified. And in those hours when he bore our sin on the cross, the sky went black. It was dark in the middle of the day and he died and his body was laid in the darkest of tombs. And it was sealed and for three days it seemed as though the light had been extinguished. But not death nor sin, nor hell nor the darkness of the grave could overcome the light. Because three days after the sky went black, the darkness was overcome by the light of Christ's resurrection. The light that continues forever is shown into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. It has not and it does not and it will not for all eternity. Think about the picture that we are given in Revelation. When the apostle John, he writes his parting words and he describes when Christ returns in his second advent. And he brings with him the new heavens and the new earth and the holy city will descend. And he says of that city that it has no need for sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. By its light the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. What a beautiful picture. That when Christ came in his first advent, he brought the life that is the light of the world. And when he comes in his second advent, he brings the light that will dispel the darkness forever. No night, no need for moon or sun because the glory of God will be so bright. Friends, have no fear. You need not fear today or tomorrow. You need not worry that the darkness of your heart would ever consume the light. You have no fear of the world around us because the light of Christ will never end. It cannot be snuffed out. This is why we can have courage when we face the dark. You know that atheist Stephen Hawking? No friend of Christianity. The atheist Stephen Hawking, he once said that religion is a fairy tale. For people afraid of the dark. But what he doesn't understand is that for the Christian, there is no fear of the dark. Because Christ, who is the true light, has brilliantly shown in the midst of the darkness. And the darkness will never overcome it. It will never creep into it. It will never eradicate the light. But that Christ's light, it has come. It has shown into the world, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Father, we do thank you that you have sent the light of life. You have sent your Son, who is the light of the world. You have sent Christ into this world to dispel the darkness and to bring the light of Christ into this world, not just into this world, but into our hearts to 
to remove the darkness of sin and the pain of death, to remove the curse that the creation itself is under. You have sent your Son, who is the light of the world, to shine light into the darkness. Help us today to walk in his light. Help us today to walk with courage that the darkness will not overcome him. Do this, we pray, for the good of your people and for the greatness of your name. And we pray in Christ's name and God's people said together, Amen.